The reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, starting at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Hello again. Are you still there? Good. Well, today, as you know, We're continuing with our theme, Life Matters, topics relating to everyday issues, and we want to know what um, help we can expect to receive from God, what he offers, and the difference that knowing God or having a relationship with God makes. So as uh, Kate mentioned uh, earlier, we're looking at coping with stress. It's something that none of us can avoid. So I'm going to begin with a joke. You may have heard it. Apologies if you have. A duck, let me just say this now, that no animals were hurt in the making of this joke. A duck walks into a petrol station and asks the cashier, do you have any apples? And the cashier replies, no. And so the duck leaves. The next day, the duck comes back and asks again, do you have any apples? The cashier again says, no. And the duck leaves. The day after that, The duck walks into the shop again and asks, do you have any apples? And the cashier, becoming stressed by now, says sternly, no, you've come in here the past two days and asked if we've got any apples. The answer has always been no. If you come back in here again and ask for apples, I'm going to nail your webbed feet to the floor. The duck leaves, only to return the following day. And the duck asks, do you have any nails? And the cashier replies, no. Good, says the duck. What about apples? How quickly irritation can turn to stress. Does anybody watch Outnumbered on the TV? Yes? Shall we watch a bit now? Yes, let's watch a bit now. This is from the first series, and it's the episode uh, called The City Farm. And it's the, it's the bit right at the beginning where they're in the car. And many of you can relate to this, I'm sure where there's this family journey going on, and you can see where it's heading. There's quite a bit of stress. Depends if I remember where to stop it or not, whether we hear the swear word, okay? But the stresses of life 
do cause us to respond in all sorts of ways. Okay? And you know that because you respond in those ways yourselves. So, we're going to watch this clip and we're going to see uh, what stress is like for this particular family. After school, an urban farm down the A3. Have I learned nothing after all these years? Ben, are you making rude hand signals at the driver behind? No, he's making at me. I'm not doing anything. I'll tell you what. Let's all see who can tell the biggest lie. What? It's a strategy. I got it off Mumnet. It sort of downgrades the lying and makes it less attractive. There's a game there. I'm a toilet! Right. I'm a magical witch and I'm 100,000 years old and at night I sprout wings and I fly above the owls and the bats and I leap over the moon. Jake, you go! I have the deadly Ebola virus and we're all going to die in the next 24 to 48 hours. Nice. Karen, you go. I like Auntie Angela. Well, that's... That's lovely, sweetheart. Um, anyway, let's get on with the game. That was part of the game. I'm a toilet too. No, you're not. It was part of the game. Jake, have another go. My middle name is Elizabeth. I'm 36 years I old. Me. I drive a Peugeot. was going to be here about 15 minutes ago but apparently a fight's broken out in one of the citizenship classes so I've no idea when I'm going to be there. We'll probably get there before us. No, we've been fine. It's just Angela was late and now we've caught the start of the uh, rush hour. You're not allowed to talk on the phone. Well, in case I swerve off the road at incredible speed. You might do. You never know. Look, I'm not just on the phone today. Well, I've got to... You've already been stopped once by the police. So you might even go to jail. I've a book if you get too many times. Look, I'm going to have to go before Karen shops me. Okay, good luck. Thank you. Bye. That's better. I'm sorry I was late, but it was very hard for both of us to get out of the door. Many things had to be locked up many times. But you need to leave more time because Dad likes his routine. Or maybe he's got too used to them. People need to lighten up and break the rules sometimes. I need the wheel. No, you don't. You're just copying me. No, I need it more than you. Have to hold on. I smell burning. <laughs> I'm desperate. God, because this thing does overheat in traffic. There was once this type of car in America, and um, it kept catching fire, and that stopped the electric door things working, and um, these families were burnt alive inside. Great. Right. Okay, well, I'm going to turn off the child locks. I was playing the game. What? It was a lie. I was playing the game. Um, Dad, you've got a good and proper... Hey! Dad won the game, everyone. You need a win. Okay. Right, don't panic. Um, OK. Oh, sorry. You have to get it from Amazon. 3 dollars Series 1, anyway. 
but stress. It's an ever-present feature of life, work life, family life, relationships. It can seep into every corner of our existence. And when your cup is already full of stress, one more tiny drop and it all comes spilling over. In harsh words, a rant, a slammed door, a good cry or a kicked cat. Living with stress can be like coping with an illness. It affects our physical health. It affects our mental health, our emotional state. It affects our spiritual health. So as we think about this theme, I want to ask you a question. In what ways are you, and what ways am I, living with stress at the moment? Be honest. We all live with stress in one way or another. What is it for you? Is it work-related? Is it family-related? Is it relationship-related? Is it health-related? What is it for you? Or is it a mixture of those things? Did you know that what you believe can also cause you stress if you get frustrated by others who don't live by the same values as you? Is that causing you stress? Some of us may be living with a great deal of stress, whilst others, not so much. But it's there. So we have to live with it. But how can we cope with stress? Well, the famous early Christian missionary and writer, Paul, lived with a considerable amount of stress. We heard parts, a little snippet of one of his letters that he wrote to one of the churches just a few minutes ago. We didn't write it a few minutes ago. We heard it a few minutes ago, obviously. Just because he was a great man of God didn't mean that he didn't have to endure all sorts of stress-inducing struggles and difficulties. And when you read about some of the things that he had to go through, this man, then at times, I bet his blood pressure was through the roof. I mean, it's quite a list of things that he had to endure. But something got him through it each and every time. And he makes it very clear in all his writings that it's his relationship with God that kept him going, that got him through. That's how Paul managed to cope with stress. But how? What was going on? What was it about his relationship with God that enabled him to cope with stress in a more positive way? And what help did he receive or expect from God? What difference did it make practically? Well, fortunately for us, there are clues in Paul's letters. And one of those letters was the letter we heard, the letter to the church in Philippi. In chapter 4, verses 7 and 9, Paul reminds his first readers of that letter, and us too, of a promise. And this is a very, very important promise in life. That the peace of God will be with us. That the peace of God will be with us. And that's about as good a promise as you could ever hope to receive. That God's peace will be with you. But this promise, it requires effort on our part. If inner tranquility and peace promised by God is to be enjoyed and benefited from, and its positive influence then shared with other people, then Paul makes it clear that there are certain steps that need to be taken. Certain things that we need to do 
But what are these? What are the steps that we need to take? Well, firstly, Paul tells us in verse 4, to rejoice in the Lord always. That's how he puts it. Because the Lord is near. We can't hope, we can't possibly hope, to have the peace of God unless we give the first and the best place in our lives to the one who is peace. And who's that? Well, the one who is peace is the Prince of Peace. And he is our Lord Jesus Christ. By giving him the first and the best place in our lives. Do you and I want the peace of God which passes all understanding? Is that something that you want? Because if it is, you're in the best place possible. Because all you need to do is to know that friendship with Jesus which causes us to celebrate in every bit of life. Rejoice in the Lord always because he's near. Secondly, Paul tells us in verse 6 of chapter 4 to pray in everything. Not just occasionally, not just when you're desperate, but in absolutely everything. To talk to God in whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through. And to receive from him in every bit of life. Here is the remedy for all anxiety. Trusting in God. So what anxiety are you dealing with? Because Paul encourages us to trust in God, to bring all our worries to him through prayer. God wants us to come just as we are, with all that we're carrying, and then to bring it to him. Thirdly then, Paul encourages us to think about certain things, and he encourages us to do that in verse 8. But here, Paul means much more than keeping particular things in mind. It isn't about just thinking your way out of trouble or, or thinking yourself into a better state of mind or a more positive outlook. He's not just talking about that. Imagine if we were all to set off now uh, to climb a mountain. We'd have to uh, set our mind to it, wouldn't we? We'd have to think about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And we'd have to do that on the way up. We'd have to, you know, make sure that we weren't going to look down possibly or, you know, we're going to keep going. We're going to have to keep going until we get to the top. There's a certain uh, thought process and, and mentality that goes with that. But we can't just think our way to the top of a mountain. We've got to walk it. We've got to climb it. We've got to put one foot in front of the other. And so Paul's saying, set your minds on things that will then help you to press on in life in a more positive way. That you'll be able then to move on through the stresses that you're facing or the struggles that you're facing. These will have a positive impact in your life because they'll change the way that you live. So he means take these things on board, take them into account, reflect on them, chew on them, but then allow them to shape the way that you're living. Allow them to make a difference to your walk and your journey through life as you press on. Throughout life, and especially under stress, I'm sure you've noticed, that our minds will focus on something. Often, it's difficult to break the cycle of what we're thinking about and we're focusing on. So you might think about the very thing that caused you the stress, the upset that somebody caused you, the hurt, or the anger, or the, the, the harsh words 
or the argument, whatever it is, and you focus on it. It's only natural. So Paul wants us to focus on other things, on good things, things that will help us, not things that will hinder. Things to lift us out of our anxiety, our frustration, and our irritation. He wants us to focus on and engage with the finer things in life. And then he gives us a list. It's it's quite a good list of all these things. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time just going through each one of those very briefly. Firstly, Paul says, set your mind on things such as these. Firstly, set your mind on on whatever is true. Now, many things in life promise things that can't be delivered. You only have to look at advertising to see that all sorts of products are sold on the basis that they're going to make us successful, rich, irresistible, or content. But it's just not true. These are hollow promises, empty promises, leaving us always wanting more. And so Paul encourages us to look to things that will not let us down, set our minds on the true and lasting promises of God. We'll not regret it. That's Paul's consistent message. Secondly, Paul encourages us to set our minds on all that is noble and dignified. There are responses to stress that can seem very attractive, but they turn out to be cheap and ineffective. And so Paul calls us here to seek out honourable people and to aim for honourable actions ourselves. Thirdly, he says, focus on whatever is right. Some people focus on comfort and the easiest way through life. Sometimes we aim for self-preservation. And yet Paul argues that it's by doing what is right and what is just by other people that will give us God's peace. Now I think this is a really difficult one. In the face of stress, how can we then act in a right or just way when so much of our own personality is tempting us, calling us, to just protect ourselves. It's quite a difficult one to do. And yet Paul is saying that when we look to put these things into practice and do what's right by other people, it's in that that we'll find God's peace. Fourthly, on the list, focus on whatever is pure. Paul means here anything that's fit to be brought into God's presence. Things that we'd be proud to show God, not the things that we would want to hide from him, that we might feel ashamed of. So Paul is saying, focus on, set your minds on the things that will make God proud and pleased, not those things that we will feel guilty about. Next comes whatever is lovely. This is anything that brings about love, that sparks love, allows love to take wings and fly, uh, that nurtures love in a situation. Under stress, it's easy, isn't it, to bring about bitterness and anger and revenge and resentment. But Paul challenges us to bring about kindness, patience, sympathy and forgiveness because, again, these things are the very things that will bring about love. The last but one thing. Set your minds on whatever is admirable. Here Paul means whatever has a good name and reputation. But it's more associated here 
with what is spoken, the words that we use, the need to speak well. Under stress, it's very easy, as well I know, and I'm sure you know too, it's easy to speak badly, to insult, to curse, to swear, to badmouth, or to criticize. But Paul is challenging us to use better words, and to use our words better. Words that heal and don't harm. Words that soothe and don't cause any more pain. Because he knows that bad words cause more stress in the long run. Have you ever noticed that? Badly chosen words always, always cause more stress. And finally, Paul concludes his list by instructing us to set our minds on whatever is excellent or worthy of praise. The fine things in life, the skills, the qualities, the characteristics, the things that make people stand out for all the right reasons and that then cause them to be praised by others. We don't have to look far, actually, for these things to be spotted. So easily, isn't it, for us in stress to think about ourselves, not to be able to see the wood for the trees. We're so focused on what we're going through that we lose sight of the good things that are a little bit beyond our own lives and own existence. I made a list this week as I was thinking about uh, preaching on this and mentioning this particular thing of the good things that I saw. And I just wanted to uh, mention a couple of them. They actually relate to one another, but they were, I read about them separately. <clears throat> just last week, David Beckham announced that he's going, going to give his salary from his new contract to charity. Now, he may be filthy rich, he may have more money than we could possibly imagine, but he didn't need to do that. Often the more money we have, the more difficult it is to part with it, but not for David Beckham. And in the second incident, interestingly, this week, a friend of ours was crossing the road in London when a gleaming Bentley stopped to let her cross the road. And she wrote this on Facebook. Thank you, Mr. Beckham. You don't have to look far. Those are just two examples I heard this week. You know, those are further afield. But there's all sorts of things happening in our own families, on our own doorstep. Sometimes in a stressful situation, we can get so focused on what's happening that we lose sight of those good things that are going on around us. And so we have the good things to focus on, the things that will impact our lives for good. But why? Why does Paul give us this list of these seven things? Well, I think there's one simple reason. And the baptism service that we had right at the beginning of our time together today, I think this explains it brilliantly. If the devil and all evil are associated with the bad things of the world, then God is associated with all that is good. And therefore, setting our minds on those things will ultimately turn our, turn our attention to God and help us to find God's peace in and amongst them. So what unhelpful things is your stress causing you to focus on? Unkind things towards your work colleagues? Frustrated thoughts about your family? Is it self-harming? Anger? Impatience? Hate? Are you not able to forgive? Does your stress cause you to focus on things that on the surface offer an escape and yet potentially bring more harm? like drinking, or gambling, or pornography. These are things that we can become fixated on, or even addicted to in times of stress. 
they're really difficult to manage. But Paul calls our attention away from these things to the things that are associated with God and with life and with peace. And sometimes we need help to do this. And that's where the prayer and the support of our church community comes in. We can pray for one another and be there for one another. Maybe we should look to do this more. How many times do we come into church or go into a family situation or a work situation and we get done what we want to get done and we get out of something what we want to get out of something? And what do we give? What do we give? What are you giving this morning? What are you going to give to your family throughout the day? Or are you just going to take? Am I just going to take? It's a question for us all. And if we're going to do that, if we're just going to come and take, then other people are going to be more likely to do that too. And we're going to miss out on the love and the support that we'd be able to offer to one another, that we're desperate for at times. Just this week, Kate and I were reminded of the importance of this, when after a particularly stressful few days, friends within this church community noticed and they insisted on praying for us. In fact, I was strong-armed into another room so that people could pray for us. And I was very grateful that I was. It meant such a lot. And it changed. It changed things just as Paul promised that they would be changed. The stress hasn't been removed. But God's peace is with us in that situation. And it makes a difference. Because it's not easy. This is God's promise for all of us, not just for one or two of us. No matter who we are, or what we've done, or what we're going through. God's love in Jesus Christ is far-reaching, and it reaches even to you and to me. And so to finish, the peace of God will be with us. That's an amazing promise. But it does depend on effort on our part. And Paul tells us the steps we need to take. We need to build a friendship with Jesus, the one who is peace. We need to trust God with all our worries. And then we need to focus on the things in life that will impact our lives for good. Whatever stress you're facing, I encourage you all to follow these steps. You won't regret it. Time and time again, Paul found that they worked and they made a difference to all that he was facing in life. So much so, that in verse 9 of chapter 4, he encourages us to follow his example so that God's peace will be with us, guarding our hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to continue now.